Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Harlow. Harlow's all-in-one freelancing software helps you manage and organize your day-to-day operations, get a full view of your clients, and get paid for the work you do, all from one intuitive dashboard. Founded by two former freelancers who know the ups and downs firsthand, Harlow is about more than just software. They're passionate about creating a supportive community for freelancers to grow and thrive. Harlow's launching soon, and if you sign up for the newsletter today, you'll get an access to a free month once the product goes live. Go to meetharlow.com slash subscribe to sign up now. That's M-E-E-T-H-A-R-L-O-W dot com slash subscribe. we're going to discuss six simple strategies to make more money as a freelancer. All the time, I think as freelancers, we're thinking about how we can sort of maximize efficiency, maximize revenue, and really give ourselves the, the comfortable lives we all hope for doing this and, and you know, paying ourselves a good, good salary. And I think it can, there's like a lot of confusing information about how to do this, but over the years that we've been in business, we've sort of uncovered a few strategies that are helpful foundations for making more money. So we're going to talk about those today. So we have six that we're going to go over, six simple strategies to make more money as a freelancer. And Kaylee, like, tell us about the first one. Yeah. So the first one is kind of a duh one, but this is to just raise your rates with your existing clients. And so I have heard from fellow freelancers that they really kind of struggle with how to do this tactfully. And I think the easiest and most professional way to do this now it's the perfect time of year. You know, if, if you're listening to this at the beginning of the year, that's great. But really anytime you can do it, I think it's just kind of a natural way to look at it in six or 12 month packets though. So maybe January and June or July, and then just using that as a cycle to reevaluate your rates, because as your skills and your knowledge improves, you should obviously be charging more because you're, you're becoming more of an expert. You're becoming more established within your niche. And it's, it's just a natural thing. I mean, if you work at an in-house job, you at least get a cost of living raise most of the time. So that's something you have to factor in for yourself because nobody's going to do that for you. The other thing too, is just knowing how to communicate the fact that you're going to be raising your rates. So I think it's easy to say like, Hey, just wanted to let you know that my rates are going to be going up on X date. If you'd like to get in at my old rate, you can do that through the end of this month or the end of the week, whatever it might be. That's also a good way to get yourself set up with a new batch of projects. If things have been a little slow, it's kind of this like FOMO aspect where you can say, if you want to get a good deal, like you can still get in at my old price point before the the rates go up moving forward. And I think you just want to explain the why. So make, make it clear why you're raising your rates. Talk about the fact that you've helped them achieve whatever results you have. If you have numbers to share, that's excellent. Talk about the fact that time has passed and you have built up your skill set. And I think just really position it as a logical earned thing that you're doing because you are a business owner and you are 
deserving of those higher rates. Anything to add there on that front? I think you're much better at this than me. Like I, it makes me like really nervous raising rates with existing clients. I think that at this point in my business, my like I'm not working with any clients where I'm like, I'm not charging them enough. I think earlier in my business, I, I maybe felt that way. And there were times where I did raise rates with existing clients. But like, I found that the thing that that can happen is that the client says like, okay, well, we're not going to work with you anymore. And like, then you sort of need to make a choice of like, am I willing to do this at the old rate or am I willing to say goodbye? And I think that's where that fear comes from. And like, is it a legitimate fear or not? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have a better sense of that because you know better about how people have responded to it. I feel like I haven't had to sort of raise my rates in a while with any existing clients. Like, I just feel like I sort of grandfather them in with whatever it was and and let it be. And I don't feel too much angst about it because I feel like it's high enough. But do you feel like you've, you've seen resistance to that? Or how do you sort of think about worrying about them just being like, nah, never mind. You know, it's a tricky thing. I feel like there for a while when I initially started increasing my rates, I did have a few drop off. At the time, that was great because it gave me a lot more flexibility to enjoy. And I feel like I need that in a more manual way because otherwise I will just keep saying yes to projects and keeping myself busy. So by raising those rates and kind of forcing a few people out, unfortunately was not great for my business, but good for my mental health. And it allowed me kind of the mental bandwidth to think about what what are some new things I want to work on or what are some new services I want to offer or what's a digital product I want to launch or who do I want to collaborate with? So I feel like that is a plus side. It's just, it's a tricky thing to always ask for more money. Like you, this is like a classic scene on TV where somebody has to go in and ask their boss for a raise. You know, it's always nerve wracking. I think the easiest way to make it an easy sell though is just to position it and package it as, I deserve this because of X, Y, and Z. And really back it up with numbers and social proof and everything you can to make it a no-brainer for them to say, oh yeah, totally, I understand. Yeah, okay, awesome. So I think we can move on from number one, raise rates and talk about number two, which is set project minimums. And this is kind of similar to raising rates in this with existing clients in the sense that you decide that rather than just sort of accept whatever comes your way, you kind of take into account that working with someone new requires like a minimum amount of spend. So like, so it can be something that you share externally or it can be something privately, but maybe, you know, like I will not work with a new client for less than $1,500. And that $1,500 could be split into five blog posts, $1,500, three blog posts at $500. There's my math. It could be split into something like that. It could be one project that you do that's $1,500, but maybe you set a minimum like that that ensures that you're not going to waste time learning about their company only to get $200 for one blog post. I found that that's it is a way to make more money because you're sort of like establishing more of a more of a relationship and actually like you're getting $1500 not $200 but more than that it's also like elevating the relationship that you're going to have with someone like they're making more of an investment in you and you're therefore like delivering more um and that like sets the relationship off to a good start i think where you're like more enmeshed in their business than you otherwise would be if you were just like sort of charging these like one-off rates. And I think we don't have this as like an item on the, of the six simple strategies, but along with that, like 
You can also set like a project cadence. So I know lots of freelancers sign people into a six or 12 month contract. So it's not just setting like the project minimum. It's also like, well, I guess what I would say is like, rather than just sort of a minimum of being like, it's a thousand dollars to even get in the door. It's also like, no, you also have to book me for 12 months or six mm-hmm. months or three months or, or something. So it's like, you're sort of setting like a minimum of what your of what someone has to spend to even work with you. And I think that's a, a good way of finding good clients, making good relationships and therefore making, making better money. Do you yeah. have anything to add? I think it's a good filtering mechanism too. So if they are not interested in spending, you know, $1,500 a month with you because their budget doesn't allow for it, then that tells you right off the bat that they're probably not a good fit. The other thing I will say is that I've heard people doing minimums for like pre-booking as well. So if somebody is booked up with projects, but you want to get a slot on their calendar for two months out or something like that, there's some sort of a deposit required. And then also the minimum once they once the time comes that it is time for you to pick up that project and do start doing the work. So again, I think it's it's almost like the line outside the busy restaurant, right? It's it's a way to be like, oh, this this place must be really good. People are lined up outside. People are waiting. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's more like you can you can use it as like a uh, like a marketing. Yeah, thing, right. Again, it's it's yeah. just another positioning tool. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to number okay. three. So number three is booking bigger scale projects. So this is something I experimented with for the first time in a couple of years this year. So normally I do blog content and those can be anywhere from a thousand words to like 5,000 words. So I would consider the ones that are super long form, definitely a larger scale project. But I did take on a couple of ebook projects this year that were quite a bit longer than that. So it the thing that it did was it was a much higher price point project and it allowed me to really dive into that for like three or four weeks at one time rather than doing just kind of blips, you know, throughout my schedule where I'm doing small one-off projects. Even if it's with an ongoing client who I work with every month, this was something that I could really do a deep dive into. And I made about the same amount of money on one project as I did doing, you know, six or seven projects. So it was good to break up the monotony, I think, of just kind of the normal work that I do. But it was a good way to stretch my muscles in a different format as well with a much, much bigger project where you have to, you know, really stay focused on one thing. So booking bigger scale projects is a great way, like I said, to mix things up. It's also something that is worth considering if you're feeling burned out doing the same stuff over and over. If you can take on a bigger scale project, even if it's not something you do all the time, but it's, like I said, kind of adjacent to things that you you do, like blog writing and eBooks, I feel like are kind of the same thing. One's just longer form than the other. The chapters in a way are blog posts. If you think about it that way, it's a good way to just kind of mix things up. What do you think? Well, I think you could define a bigger scale project in a few different ways. One could be like, okay, instead of writing a blog, you're writing a longer blog in the form of an ebook. It could also be that you're going to write someone's entire website, or it might be like you're going to work like almost more as like a part-time contractor for a company that like in a freelance capacity, but is much more sort of like being an employee. I don't know how to describe it. I'm just thinking about like, I I did a contract for a company for like three or four months and I did like 15 hours a week for them of like basically writing work, but they gave me all different kinds of stuff. It was actually, I was paid hourly, but the hourly rate was super high. So it was okay. And 
it was sort of a bigger scale project in that I was engaged with them for a period of multiple months and for a lot of hours, but it gave me like a really nice anchor financially to have them. So it's kind of like, well, what does bigger scale mean? It's like, yeah, it's, it's a project that commands more money in whatever way that is. Like it could just be a longer version of what you already do. It could be a different kind of relationship or a different kind of project. Like I found that I could charge more for a case study than a blog post. And that isn't to say that one is like more work than the other, or like, I think a case study is a little bit more work because you have to do the interview, but either way, like I recognize that I could charge more for that. And so I was like, oh, well maybe I'll lean into offering more case studies because I don't have to do as many of them. And there's nothing wrong with doing like many of something. Like if you're like, I just want to write emails and you're willing to write like a hundred emails a month or whatever it is, like go for it. I don't think we're, we're saying not to do that. I think like in that case, the bigger scale would be like selling the package of a hundred emails as opposed to selling them one off. Um, because then you're able to sort of guarantee that you're going to have revenue from that project. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add on that one. So let's move to the next one, which is standardized pricing. Yeah. Number four, standardized pricing. So I think I have sort of conflicted feelings about this because I worked with a business coach who told me, you know, when you write a case study for someone, it should always be exactly the same cost. It doesn't matter if they need an interview or not. Like it should always be the exact same. You should never negotiate and you'll know exactly what it costs. It'll be easier to hire a subcontractor to help you with it because you'll just, you'll know, you'll have better forecasting because you've booked 10 case studies for the year. So you know exactly like what it's going to be. And while I thought that was good advice, I didn't think it was great advice for me, like, and how I work. Like, I just, I don't think, I think that I'm more comfortable offering things that are a little bit more custom. It's not that I don't have a standardized pricing. It's just that I'm, I'm willing to, to wiggle a little bit if I see good reason for doing so. I I guess I started off standardized pricing with something with a negative story, but, but the real point about standardized pricing is that you have a good idea of what everything you do is worth. So you, you're less likely to be sort of talked down. So if, if your rate for doing a blog article is $750 and someone comes to you and they're like, can you do it for 300? You're like, okay, no, my rate is 750. Like maybe I could go down to 650, but like you, you, your prices are standardized. And I think that makes it easier to stand behind and therefore like get better clients and get paid for what you're worth. What do you think there about like standardized pricing and how that's helpful? Yeah. So for me with blog content, I go with just a per word pricing. And I think that what you said there about having everything documented as far as what you office offer service wise is really smart. And I've seen like a rate sheet be really effective for that. So if you don't have a standardized rate sheet, which can be an evolving document, right? It can it can change with you as your experience grows and those prices can go up. But I think it's helpful to be like, okay, here's my rate sheet for the services I offer. It has a bit of context about why the rates are, what they are, what's included. So it can save you some time. It's almost in a way like an onboarding thing. Like, here's what my prices are. Here are the questions you want to ask me, but maybe you don't know how to ask them or maybe you don't know that the question is one you need to ask. But you're kind of saying like, 
I'm going to anticipate the questions that you have for me and get ahead of you and explain why I charge what I charge. So like I said, the rate sheet is really helpful. I also have a hidden page on my website where I have all that information and it literally says at the top, here are the answers to all of the questions you want to know, but maybe don't know how to ask. And so it's got just all of that information right there up front, anticipating those questions. And I feel like it just is a good boundary setting and it's a good way to show like, I have all my ducks in a row. Here are my expectations. Here's what I need from you. And just shows that you're not flying by the seat of your pants. It's like, this is how this goes. Yeah, I think what you're really getting at with all that is like, that's how you show you're a professional and you know what you're doing. Like by standardizing your rates, you sh- you show that you've, you've thought this through and that you're not, this isn't your first rodeo, right? Mm-hmm. All right, let's yeah. go to number five. Okay. So I really, really love this one. We're going to talk about minimizing expenses to maximize profit. So when Emma and I went to SumoCon, I don't know, five, six years ago. Yeah, that was forever long. Yes. So Noah Kagan, who led the SumoCon conference, had us in his keynote session at the end of the conference, get on the phone and call software companies, telephone providers, whatever it was, and ask if they could lower our rate, right? Because oh my gosh, it was I an, forgot about this. Yeah, this it, was, it was an easy exercise to like potentially minimize your your profit. And basically he's like, if say you're going to switch to a different provider, like see what discounts you have. And people would save like thousands of dollars just by making these asks. Like he's like, do it right now. And for the people who did, like they were just shocked at how much money they saved. So that's one way to approach it. I think another way too is like really go through and evaluate what are you spending money on? Like, do you need that software? Do you need that Grammarly subscription? Like really take a a hard look at the things that you're paying for and say like, do I need to keep doing this? Is this helping my business? Am I getting my money's worth out of this? What do, What would you add? Well, I just, if you talk to an accountant, they're like, there's two ways to make to make more money. Like you can you can minimize your expenses or like maximize your profits. And of course, there's no ceiling really on how much you can maximize profits and there is on minimizing expenses. But I've seen a lot of freelancers like buy tons of like pro tools and stuff that they don't really need. And I think actually like one of the benefits of running a freelance business is there's so little overhead. It's like you need like a computer and Google Docs and email, at least when you're first getting started. Like you are you don't need to rent out. You don't need to get a lease on a, on a office space and all. I mean, you can do all of that once you're, but like, it's not like you need a storefront, right? Right. So I think that it's like really good to examine like, what am I doing? And is it really helping me? So like, I know there's tons of freelancers that have these like extensive funnels built out on their web, on their websites. And it's like, okay, that's great. But you're paying maybe like $150 a month to keep that thing up and running. And like, how much revenue does it actually generate for you? Like how much ROI are you getting from that tool? Like there's some tools that are totally worth it. Like for me, my proposal tool, like I think that because I have proposal software for my particular business, I am able to, like it pays for itself, right? Like it just pays for itself. And like the same with fresh books, like having accounting software, like it pays for itself. Like I'm not going to get audited. Well, maybe I will one day, but like the hope is, is that it's preventing me from getting audited and I'm like organized and stuff because I have that. So I don't think we're saying like, you know, don't have tools. It's just like, you need to sort of justify what you're spending money on. I think another thing that people spend a lot of money on as an expense is courses and and Mm. classes and stuff. And those are great. I don't think that 
you should be not like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to give the advice to like never spend money on any education or communities, but just be like picky and choosy. Like don't drop $1,500 on some course without like really, really vetting it. Or, I mean, I give myself basically a budget every year where I'm like, okay, I get to travel at least once for business. Like I get to go to one conference. I have like X thousand dollars to spend on continuing education this year. So that means that I'm not just sort of like dumping all of my money into that. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it can be really tempting, especially with equipment, like to get the new shiny things like, oh, maybe I'll start a YouTube channel. So I need to get a whole setup or, you know, I need to have this super fancy desk set up and look super professional. And the reality is like, nobody is going to see those things. Like your clients don't care about what kind of computer you're working on as long as it works, you know? And so just, just staying scrappy. Yeah. Like you can do those things because you want to do them, but I just think you should be really like deliberate of like, is this actually like yeah. moving the needle forward? Yeah. Yeah. So what's number six? Let's talk about this last one. Okay. So number six is launching a digital product. And I think this is just another thing that you can do to potentially maximize some revenue and make some money in a different way. And launching a digital project is basically packaging something that you know and selling it off the shelf. So maybe you can talk a little bit about like how you how you've approached digital products and why you think they're a good idea for for making some extra jingle. Yeah. So they're a little bit of passive income. Obviously nothing is 100% passive because there's always a little bit of support on the back end for you know, oh, my download didn't work or I need a refund on this because of X thing. I think the thing that's nice about them is that they're replicable and scalable. So if there are things that you've maybe made for past clients or templates you use or something you've discovered that's really effective that you can then put into a digital format, whether that's a course or um, maybe you have like an email drip course or you have an ebook or you have templates or you have a contract, whatever it is, that's a way for you not only to share your knowledge and further like amp up your authority within your space, but it's a good way to to make some extra money off of that thing that you've made once. You're able to kind of juice it a little bit more and get extra out of it. Considering, you know, obviously you have to make sure that your client is okay with that and it's nothing proprietary. But like, for example, I sell my writing brief that I send to all of my clients. I sell an ebook with some some writing focused lessons. I've got some other things in the works that'll hopefully be out early next year. I don't know though, but yeah, I think it's just a good way to further diversify things and not put everything tied to your time. It's a good way to mix things up a little bit when it comes to the income that your business is bringing in. Yeah, and I would say with this one like I don't think you or I are like in a position where we've we've been so successful with digital products that we're like, well, I'm quitting the freelancing. No, no. We're still service-based business owners. There are people who really, really go into digital products and that becomes what their business is about. So that could be an option that's worth exploring. I'm not sure we're necessarily advocating that for all freelance writers. It's more just something that you can explore and think about. And it offers you, like, I think the nice thing about digital products is it offers you a way to serve people when they either like can't afford working one-on-one with you or like it's not something they need to, right? Like they can get some value without, without needing to, to have like a, a more formal relationship. It's like, it's, it's nice to be able to offer them something. Yeah. And the other side of this too, it's not necessarily a digital product, but maybe just like 
leveraging your expertise as you get a little bit more established within your your role as a freelancer. I think offering some sort of a mentorship or apprenticeship or coaching, obviously this is not for everyone, but there are people out there who are just getting into this world and trying their hardest to figure things out. And I think honestly, having somebody who's been through a lot of the how do I figure this out stuff is one of the fastest ways to find your footing and to to really find success. So if you have interest in teaching others and doing that one-to-one, you know, here's what I learned along the way. Here's what mistakes I made. What questions can I answer for you? That type of offering I think is very valuable too. And again, it's another pot of money for your business. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So just to to go over it as we're ending the episode, the six simple strategies to make more money as a freelancer. One, raise rates with existing clients. Two, set a project minimum. Three, book bigger scale projects. Four, standardize pricing. Five, minimize expenses to maximize profit. And finally, six, launch a digital product. Love it. Easy. (laughs) Go for it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. 